I was going to um, try to do something here, but I thought it maybe not fit the decorum of the moment. But it is a happy Easter, isn't it, church? So we're delighted to be with you. And um, So my name is Stephen Johnson. I'm the pastor here at Fellowship. And again, for those of you who are visiting with us for the first time, we're so glad you're here. It's a delight to meet you. Hopefully we can shake hands after the service and uh, share names. But um, in the meantime, my hope today... In the time that we have left, um, I'm just going to be looking at a passage in the scripture that I think will be relevant to all of us. So I know some of you come, uh, you're here on Easter, and maybe you don't have, you don't believe this stuff that we just sang about, right? So there's, that happens. And then there's some of us who come here, maybe, um, you know, maybe we believe it, but it feels kind of like a, uh, something that's kind of out there, right? Like, oh, I believe in Jesus, but it doesn't necessarily serve a central function in your life. And there's other of you who are here today, and this is kind of like, this is what you, this is what your life's all about. And we're all coming from different places, with different attitudes, different beliefs, different understanding. Uh, and what I hope to do is, as we look at, at uh, a fairly short passage in 1 Corinthians, is to see uh, and hear a message that's relevant to each one of us. Because one of the things that Easter does is it really focuses our attention on one specific aspect of the faith that, uh, that I hold to, that many of, of us here hold to, uh, that we call Christianity, that we call uh, you know, being believers in Jesus. And so if you have your Bible, or if you don't, you can look around. There's one like this underneath a chair nearby, or you can just pull out your phone and go to Google and type 1 Corinthians 15 or 1 Corinthians 15. If that feels like a big thing, you can put 1COR15, and it'll pull up the passage that we're going to be in today, 1 Corinthians 15. And this is a, this is a passage written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, when Sonia was reading earlier, we heard a little bit from him. And he's writing to the church in this province called Corinth about the resurrection, about Jesus being raised from the dead. And if you have any exposure to Christianity at all, you know that Jesus being raised from the dead is the center, is the ultimate um, uh, point, if you will, of our faith, of the Christian faith. Is the idea that there was this man who lived a perfect and sinless life, who died on that cross, even though he was sinless, even though he was guiltless, because he took the sins of the entire world on himself, and put those sins to rest. But then he was raised from the dead, that God raised him from the dead to show that he had received that sacrifice, that the payment had been paid in full, so that you and I could have that freedom that we just sang about in Christ, that freedom from our sin, freedom from guilt, uh, freedom from being at odds with our Creator, that the God of the universe who loves you and loves me would send Jesus Christ to do that for us just exemplifies to us the goodness of the God we have. But if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then none of this is true. I'm just going to put that out there. If he was not raised from the dead, none of this is true. Every Sunday when we gather, we're wasting our time. This building is a waste of money. This time that we spend in prayer or time that we spend reading the scripture or anything that we do for the Lord is all for naught. 
if Jesus was not raised from the dead. And that was exactly the thing that Paul was addressing in this letter to the Corinthians. And just so you understand that this letter was written, the Apostle Paul was alive when Jesus was alive. He was alive when Jesus was put to death and raised from the dead. Uh, But he begins to share a little bit of the testimony. Um, So if you have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to read this together. And I think we've got, there we go. He says, now, brothers, and this is verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you will have believed in vain. And here we get into this, verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is the most important thing that Paul can share with the church. And he says this. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. He says, this is the most important thing that I can get across to you. If there's nothing else we agree on, if we agree on this, then we're in a good place, right? Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried, and Christ was raised on the third day, raised from the dead. All in accordance with the Scriptures. All the prophecies of the Old Testament, all the teachings of the ancient, uh, this ancient book that we call the Old Testament, that's, you know, Abraham and Moses and, and Elijah and Elisha and King David, all that stuff points to this one claim, this one truth claim. That Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and he was raised from the dead. And then Paul begins to give his proof. Now, when we think about proving something today, right, we have different methods for proving crimes or proving the accuracy of events. But would you agree that we struggle to prove things even today? I don't know if you're aware, there's this war going on in, in Ukraine, and there's two completely different stories of what's going on there, right? And depending on who you listen to, you might believe one or the other. And the evidence seems to be uh, used by both sides to justify their case. A little bit closer to home, there have been all sorts of political uh, events where people give two very different stories of what happened in those events. And so we wonder, how do we know if they're true? And... Part of it is that we live in a world and we live in a time where there's, it's so easy to create information, right? To fabricate information, and we have no idea where it's coming from, right? So Paul actually would have faced the same trouble 2,000 years ago. Imagine you're traveling around the Roman Empire telling people that someone came back to life from the dead. We think of ancient people sometimes as being gullible, but really they weren't. They weren't as gullible as we think. And one thing they were certain on is that people who died stayed dead. That was something that was pretty clear. All the uh, scientific or medical uh, knowledge they had, that was something they were sure of. And so if you were going to claim that there was a guy who died and then came back to life, you better have really good evidence. 
Now, there's no forensic evidence. There's no photographic evidence. There's no video. So what do you do? Well, you have to base it on testimony, which we still do today. So he says that this Jesus who was raised from the dead on the third day, verse 5 it says, and he appeared to Cephas. Now, who's Cephas? Some of you know of the Apostle Peter. That was one of his names. Peter was this fisherman that years earlier Jesus had gone to and said, hey, I want you to become one of my followers. And Peter laid his nets down and followed Jesus for about three years, and he watched everything that Jesus did, and he heard all the the stories and the, the teachings that Jesus gave. And Peter was there on the night that Jesus died. Peter was there when Jesus was in a trial, and someone said to him, hey, aren't you one of those guys following Jesus? And of course, you know, Peter's really brave, really stout guy. Uh, he's, you know, pr- half the time he can't keep his foot out of his mouth. But in this moment, he falters, and he says, no, I don't, I don't know who you're talking about. They're like, no, 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 you even sound like him. You have the same accent he does. And he's like, no, 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 I've never, never heard of this guy. And someone, third person, no, I saw you with him. He says, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he, and he basically just completely abandons Jesus on the night that he dies. And he feels great regret and remorse and sadness over this. But Peter now is one of the people who gives his testimony of seeing Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Now, a few weeks after Jesus came back to life and appeared to Peter and many others, we'll see, uh, Peter was out in the temple in Jerusalem preaching about Jesus. And I want to read just a little bit of what he said so you can get an indication of what it was that Peter thought this person who uh, was there when it happened, what he thought about Jesus. You don't need to turn here, but in Acts 2, uh, Peter's preaching to his fellow Jews, and he says this, A fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. He says you knew he was from God because he was doing all these miraculous signs around you which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. These people had seen it happen. They were there. It's just a few weeks after, uh, after the events of the cross and the resurrection. And he says, This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he says this, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. So think about this. Peter's up in this courtyard at the temple in Jerusalem, this uh, very religious place, 
very crowded place. And he stands up and he says that David and really all the Old Testament were predicting that this would happen. And now it's happened that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior, and that he came back to life. He was raised to life and that we are all witnesses of it. And he's referring to all the people who are there with him. How easy would it be to discredit this claim? Right? Rome could say, you know, these Roman soldiers who are around could say, wait, 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 this guy's nonsense. We've got the body right here. Right? Or, or they could go and talk to the people who claim to follow him and, and, and ask them, did this really happen? Did, did you see him as well? Now, before I go any further, I need to mention something. Peter's claim that Jesus was raised from the dead was the cause of Peter's own death. Peter died because he said out loud over and over and over again that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Now, I've told some lies in my life. Okay? And I've held on to some lies in my life, but I can't think of a single lie I've told that I would be willing to go to death to, to die for. And I imagine that most of us would not die for most of the lies we told. In fact, it's almost like a, it's almost like a, a, in, in a book or a movie, it, it's almost a joke, or, or what's the word I'm looking for? A, uh, a cliche. That on someone's deathbed, they finally tell the truth about what they've done. You guys remember just a few months ago or just this last year in Massachusetts, there was a man who was dying and he told his wife that he had been a bank robber years before and she had never known, his family had never known. He had successfully robbed a bank and lived off the proceeds of that, of that crime for decades. And on his deathbed, he told his wife what he had done and then she told the story. It's almost a cliche that people do not die with their lies intact it's so common that they, they tell the truth before they die. But what if you were being put to death for the lie? How likely then would you be to keep it to the grave? Peter was also put to death on a cross in Rome. Now the tradition says, we don't know if this part's true, that he didn't consider himself worthy to die the same way Jesus died. So he asked them to hang him on a cross upside down. Okay, dying with a lie, unlikely. Dying for a lie, super rare. Asking to be put to death in a more horrific manner because of the lie, unheard of and impossible. You guys remember who Chuck Colson is? Chuck Colson was, uh, he was most recently famous for his prison ministry. He has this uh, uh, ministry in prisons all over the world. But he was originally famous because he worked for Nixon. And he worked for Nixon during the whole Watergate scandal. And for those who are too young to, to know what Watergate's all about, basically Nixon, who was president at the time, committed this crime. He was basically like spying on his political opponents. And there was this whole scandal involving the Watergate Hotel. And if you've seen Forrest Gump, you know that it was Forrest himself who, who uh, <laughs> was the cause of them finding... 
finding this, the, you know, these people uh, rummaging through a hotel room with their flashlights. He was the one who alerted the security. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, so, so Nixon basically... Uh, he was about to be impeached, but he resigned. But what happened is there were, there were these men who were involved who were arrested. And the way Chuck Colson, in an interview, he says it like this. He says, here were the ten most powerful men in the United States. And with all that power, we couldn't contain a lie for two weeks. And so when he was asked about the Watergate scandal in relation to this testimony of Jesus' resurrection... You know, could, could Peter and the apostles have kept a conspiracy for the entirety of their lives? He says, no way. Take it from one who was involved in conspiracy, who saw the frailty of man firsthand. There is no way the 11 apostles who were with Jesus at the time of the resurrection could ever have gone around for 40 years proclaiming Jesus' resurrection unless it were true. So here we have Peter declaring that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And then he says that Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God. He had received from his Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what, he, what you now see and hear. It says, For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Peter was saying there that the appropriate response to Jesus being raised from the dead is to repent of your sins and turn to Christ in faith and receive God's gift of love and grace and the gift of the Holy Spirit and that it's not only for the people who are present there, but it's for every one of you and it's for me. So Paul says, look, I've got Peter's testimony. He appeared to Peter. And then he says, I've also got the testimony of the twelve. The twelve. So the people listening would have known who the twelve are. The twelve were the twelve most committed followers of Jesus Christ. We often call them the disciples or the apostles. These are the twelve people, including Peter, who were most committed to Jesus and knew the most about him, who had traveled with him just like Peter had. This 12 includes people like Matthew, the book of Matthew we have, like John, the book of John that we have. It includes uh, Peter. It includes these uh, different writers in the New Testament. And so we have their testimony as well. We have Matthew's testimony of Jesus being raised from the dead. We have John's testimony of Jesus being raised from the dead. Now, just like Peter, every single one of these 12 men, except for John, were persecuted, imprisoned, beaten, tortured, and killed because they believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. 
And John experienced pretty much everything except the execution. They all gave their lives for this lie, or they all gave their lives because it was true. John says in his gospel, let's see, he writes about Jesus being raised from the dead, and he says, But I write these things so that you may believe. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. So again, it's not just a testimony that an event happened. It's that because this event happened, there is an appropriate response to the event because it means something very specific. It's not, oh, this guy was raised from the dead. It's this guy was raised from the dead, and therefore God has shown that he is approved to bring you freedom from sin, freedom from guilt and shame. And John hopes that you'll put your trust in him. Back to 1 Corinthians 15, it says, uh, Paul says, After that, he, meaning Jesus, appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So it's a couple of decades after Jesus died that Paul's writing this. So he says, hey, there's 500 people that saw him all together. I've heard interesting theories about this that people come up with who try to disprove that Jesus was raised from the dead. And they say, well, this was probably a hallucination. There's examples of mass hallucinations in the world. They usually involve some type of psychosomatic drug. You know, I don't know if they had LSD back then, 2,000 years ago. I don't think so. But usually they do, but I guess there's a way they couldn't. But here's the thing. There's never been a case of a bunch of people having a hallucination, and they all had the exact same hallucination. And if you've ever talked to people who've had hallucinations, it's rarely that the hallucination is there was just some guy who came and talked to them. Right? Have you ever heard someone talk about a hallucination? There's usually like weird stuff going on, like spiders and colors and all sorts of weird things. And their hallucination, if it was, was just that some guy came and talked to them. That Jesus, who was dead, came back and talked to them. That's not a hallucination. And Paul's, Paul's kind of like basically what he's saying is here. He's like, guys, guys, I can give you names. You can go and ask them. You know, I don't know about you, but in this day and age, I'm far less convinced by a video report than I am by someone's personal testimony added to someone else's personal testimony, added to someone else's personal testimony, added to someone else's personal testimony who was there. Right? These days, I'd rather hear four or five people tell me their perspective than to watch a video this is, this is pretty serious evidence. This is the kind of evidence that court attorneys love because it sticks. It sticks. So there's 500 people there who all testify that Jesus was raised from the dead. And then in verse 7, it says, Then he appeared to James. Who is James? James was Jesus' brother. Now, who here has a sibling? Okay, I just want you to imagine for a second, how hard would it be for you to convince your brother or your sister that you're God? 
and you're sinless, okay, that you've never done anything wrong. Now, you'd have to have not only a very loving brother or sister, but you'd have to have a very, I was going to say stupid, but I just said it, stupid brother, like you'd have to have someone who's just not right to think that their sibling was perfect and the son of God, right? This just doesn't happen. Uh, you know, we, we all know that our brothers and sisters who grew up with us, they know us better than, than almost anyone on the planet. And they could probably give you a list of your failures and foibles. This is why wedding toasts are so dangerous, to have your brother or sister give your wedding toast. My brother and I gave our wedding toasts. Uh, He insulted me, so then a few months later I insulted him. It was a lot of fun. We loved it. It was great. But, you know, neither of us said, my brother's perfect. Could never say anything negative about him. You know what? He's probably deity. That's probably what it is. He's probably not even human. He's probably a god. My brother didn't say that, right? Yours wouldn't either. But James was convinced that his brother was the son of God and his brother was raised from the dead. In the book of James, James opens up. This is, even all, this is almost harder to believe than that you would think your brother is a god. He calls his brother, he says, I am James, the servant of Jesus Christ. He says he's his brother's servant. And he was executed for preaching that Jesus was raised from the dead. Are you seeing a pattern? By the way, I will, I will mention this because it's important. It's not the main point, but... The reason all these people were executed is that teaching Jesus, it doesn't feel like it today, but teaching Jesus is dangerous to anyone who claims to have authority. Because what you're saying is there's someone who has authority even over the authorities. You know, we live in a democracy, so it feels very different. But if, when you live in author, an authoritarian world with dictators and with Caesars, right? Caesar, where we also get Kaiser, where we also get Tsar, all these you know, world leaders who took this name Caesar to mean absolute authority, and we're saying, essentially, actually, I'm sorry, you don't have absolute authority. You're under the authority of Jesus Christ, this guy who died hundreds and thousands of years ago, and yet he lives, and he's your authority. It's a dangerous message to preach. And then Paul finally says... He, 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 he went to all the apostles, and by this he means more than just the 12, but all of the people who are sharing the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus. Now hundreds of people are involved. And he says, finally, finally he appeared to me. And if, you've got, if you're looking in the text, it says, as to one abnormally born. What does Paul mean by that? Paul is the only one on this list who was not physically there to see Jesus in the flesh when he was raised from the dead. But if you ever went to Sunday school, you know about this guy who went on a trip to Damascus and he was blinded by a light. He was knocked off his horse. And there, the risen Jesus Christ appeared to him and spoke to him 
And Paul was this guy who was out arresting and murdering Christians. Paul was one of the people who would be killing the people who said that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, again, you know, you think about life. People have turnarounds in life, right? People have epiphanies. People realize, oh, I'm going the wrong direction. I need to go this way instead. But on one short journey, Paul went from someone who was murdering Christians and he has something happen in his life that changes him to the point that he begins preaching as a Christian. And his testimony is that he saw Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke to him. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Paul's turned around. It's one thing to turn around, but guys, Paul, you guessed it, was put to death for teaching that Jesus was raised from the dead. So here's the thing. Maybe one person could hold that secret to their death. Maybe they could even keep it to the point of dying for it. Maybe they would even insist on being executed in a more ghastly manner to hold on to the secret that they've been uh, uh, spreading, the falsehood they've been spreading for 40 years. We're talking about hundreds of people, many of whom were put to death for their faith. And not just put to death. Paul tells of his own challenges for being a Christian and being a preacher. It says, um, that he, there's this thing that the, the people would do back then. They had the 40 lashes minus one. Because 40 lashes, the theory was, if you get, it was this whip, you know, a leather whip, and it had barbs and rocks and things tied onto the end of it. And they would whip it across your back and then rip it off and whip it across and rip it. And the idea was if you did this 40 times, you'd kill someone. So to avoid executing the prisoner for the crime they committed, they said you can only whip them 39 times. Now, of course, people probably still died from the 39. Some people survived the 40. But the point is, Paul got these 40 lashes minus one five times in his life because he preached Jesus. And it's one thing to get that done to you. It's another thing to get that done. Go out and preach again. Get it done again. Go out and preach again. Have it done again. Preach again. Done again. Preach again. Five times. He was caned three times. You guys remember when, uh, I think it was in like Singapore or something, this guy put graffiti on the wall, and they arre- it was American, and they arrested him. They were going to cane him. America was in an uproar that they were going to hit this guy with a cane. Why? This is not like your grandpa's switch, you know, after you've gotten his toolbox. This is like serious, hardcore beating. Three times. He was stoned, and I don't mean that kind of stoned. People threw rocks at him. And three times he was shipwrecked, he was imprisoned, and finally he was beheaded. And he kept preaching the message. Because this is mind-boggling. I'm not sure I would hold out that long, even if I thought it were true. And there are tons of people who do not withstand that type of torture for the truth. No one withstands it for a lie. 
So how could all these people be lying about what they saw? And I don't know about you, but almost the torture would be really, really hard, but also to then look at your, like I think, could I look at my wife in the eye and say, this is true, knowing that it's going to cause my death and being her left as a widow? Could I look her in the face and tell her a lie, knowing what it would do to her and my family? That's what these men and women did. Now, here's the deal. Paul gives this list. And he's saying Jesus was raised from the dead. But again, why? Why why is he doing this? In verse 12. I'm sorry, I lost my verse. Oh, verse 20 says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Why is this important? Because he's the first fruit of many who have fallen asleep. What does that mean? That means that what Jesus did is when he, when he was put to death and he was raised back to life, that he kicked this door open that could never be shut again, that death no longer had power over humanity. That death no longer had the last word. Sonia read earlier from what comes later in the chapter, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin and the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory over death. So he's the first fruit That means there's more to come. Have you guys been looking at what's going on outside? Everywhere I turn, there's these little buds on the trees. And there's little crocuses and little things popping up. And what does it tell you when you see? Remember, remember when, when there was still snow on the ground? And there, what are they called, Sonia? The, the ones that pop through the snow? Snowdrops. The snowdrops kind of like break through the snow. And you're like, ah, spring's coming. Meaning what? There's more to come. This is, just, this is just the first one. And you see the buds and one of them flowers. And you're like, okay, they're all going to flower. And it's almost like you go to bed one night and you wake up the next day and the whole tree's covered with flowers, right? We have these trees across the street from us and they're all flowering right now. And it's like, whoa, when did that happen? Jesus kicks open the door and all of a sudden there is a flood. A flood of people who Paul says have fallen asleep. Why does he say fallen asleep instead of died? Because it's temporary. It's temporary death. What do we call temporary death? We don't have a word for temporary death. So he calls it falling asleep because they're going to wake up. Because if you're in Christ and you fall asleep, you're going to wake up. Because the ones who've gone before who are in Christ, they have woken up. And when you wake up, you'll see them again. Because Christ woke up first. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Paul goes on, I don't have it all up there. He says, as in Adam, all die. Meaning that, you know, Adam and Eve... 
Because of Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. And he goes on. And his whole point is, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, you won't be raised from the dead. But if Jesus was raised from the dead, surely you will be raised from the dead too. And it's basically, it goes like this. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then nothing else in the world matters. Why do I say that? Because if when you're gone, it's over, what does it matter what happens to you while you're alive? But if Jesus was raised from the dead, then nothing else in the world matters. (laughs) Because that would be the most important thing, what Paul says, of first importance. First importance. I shared on uh, Facebook yesterday, I saw this sermon from Alistair Begg, who's this great Scottish preacher, and he talks about the cross of Christ, and it's just beautiful to hear him talk. And uh, I got to hear him preach 20-something years ago, and uh, so I saw this video pop up, like, I got to watch this. So I was actually, Sonia was here still decorating, and I was sitting over there watching this. And um, he was talking about... uh, Do you guys know when Jesus died on the cross, there were three crosses? So Jesus was, you know, the the way we depict it is Jesus is in the middle. And on each side, there's these two, what the Bible calls thieves, these two criminals. And they're hurling insults at him like, oh, if you were really the son of God, you'd get yourself off the cross. And they're just not being kind. But then finally, when they're about to die, one of them turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, will you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? And um, so Alistair Begg, in his sermon, he's kind of making a joke. He's like, imagine this guy shows up in heaven. And there's an angel there, and they go, well, I'm sorry, who are you? And he goes, I'm a nobody. Well, how are you here? I don't know. Well, what did you do to get here? I have no idea. Were you a faithful religious person? No, definitely not. Uh, do you believe in the authority of the Scripture? I, no, no. Uh, how about your doctrine of the atonement? And he's like, I have no idea what you're even talking about. And he's like, hold on, let me get a manager. So the, manager, <laughs> the other angel comes. And he's like, oh, who are you? Who, what, how, why are you here? He's like, I don't, know, I don't know what's going on. He's like, let's get to the crux of it. How and on what basis did you arrive at this place? And he says, I don't know. All I know is that the guy in the middle cross told me I could come. That was it. It's all about Jesus. He's making the point. He's making this point that if, if, you, if this scenario plays out at all, I don't think it does. But if you go to heaven and someone asks you, why should you be here? If your answer begins with the words, well, I, even if it's I believed or I trusted or I had faith or I understood, then you've messed up. You've, you've failed the test. The only answer that counts is the one that starts in the third person. He, he invited me here. He died for me. He paid the penalty for my sins. He said I could come. The guy in the middle cross said I could come. It's the only answer that counts. It's the only one that works. So as these people... Peter, the twelve, 
the 500, James, the apostles, and Paul, as they preach that Jesus was raised from the dead, they do it for a reason. That you would believe. That you would believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. That you would believe that he's your Savior. That you would believe that he died for your sins. That you believe he was buried and that he was raised from the dead so that you would have freedom in Christ. And the same message that they were sharing 2,000 years ago is the same message for us today. So I told you I hope this would be relevant for everyone in the room. So here's, here's, here's the crux of it. If you've never put your faith in Christ, this is an invitation. It's an invitation. Because here's the thing. We have hundreds of witnesses. And I didn't even get into the other witnesses that aren't mentioned here. There's even ancient documents that talk about Jesus being raised from the dead from people who don't believe. We have hundreds of witnesses saying that Jesus raised from the dead and that the significance of it was that God loves you so much that he doesn't want you to be dead in sin but to be alive in freedom simply by accepting what Jesus has done for you, simply by receiving this gift. And again, I don't just mean like, Oh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll say I believe. Like, no, like actually believing it so much that it becomes of first importance. Or if you're a person out there who has believed in that sense of like, oh, yeah, no, I guess that I've always grown up in church, and yeah, so I guess I believe in God. Yeah, sure, Jesus. This is an invitation to just go in all the way, to jump in. And say, you know what? Actually, if this is true, it would be the most important thing in the world. So if I'm saying it's true and I'm not acting like it's the most important thing in the world, then there's a disconnect. I'm going all in. Or maybe you're a person here today who's already at that place where you're all in with Jesus. And it's just a reminder that your faith is grounded in truth. I think there's a misconception about faith that it doesn't need evidence. Faith needs a ton of evidence. Right? I don't believe in things that have no evidence. That to me feels very foolish. But when I come across something like this, man, I believe. I believe. And so I just close with this. It's a simple idea. If it's true that Jesus was raised from the dead, and we have hundreds willing to die for their testimony of his resurrection, then this is of utmost importance and worth living our whole life for. Our whole life. So what I want to do now is simply this. I want to pray for you. And maybe you're in a place where you want to make that kind of commitment to the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to come up here. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. Uh, But I just want to pray for you and give you a moment to take time with the Lord. If that's something you do today, we do want to hear about it. Right? So tell someone you came with. Tell me. Uh, jot it down on a card and we'll reach out to you. And put it in that box back there. Whatever you want to do to let us know, because we want to know. Because this is just the beginning. Right? It's just the beginning, it's not the end. Uh, there's a whole life, and actually a pretty exciting, incredible life following Jesus. 
and trusting him as Lord. So let me pray. And then we're just going to close out with a song. We want to bless you. And then we'll sing another song. You can hang around for that other one. Leave if you need to, whatever, whatever you need to do. But again, we're just so glad that you are here today. And I hope that you're encouraged by this message of freedom, this message of forgiveness, this message of life through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Well, Lord God, this, this is, um, you know, Easter morning, special day here in the church. And of course, every Sunday we remember that Jesus was raised from the dead. But today, in a very pointed way, we acknowledge that this testimony is true and the gift is good. And so, God, I, I pray that if there's anyone here who, within their own heart, has felt called and moved, either just questioning or maybe believing that, it, that indeed Jesus Christ did raise from the dead, that he was accepted as our sacrifice, that, that we no longer have to bear the weight and shame of our sin but that Jesus has borne it for us, that it has been put to death, and that we can walk in life through him. God, if anyone here like that, I pray that you would receive their faith, Lord. Receive their trust. And help them to take their next step in their walk with you and their life with you. Lord, if there's anyone here who has had a distant relationship with you, but they're drawn into something deeper today. Lord, in your grace and your love, Lord, receive them more closely. Not that you've been distant, but that you've been there waiting and ready and willing to receive them. That you would help them to take that next step, to jump all in. Because Jesus is worth it. And if you're in one of those camps today, again, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or come up here, but maybe in your own heart, just pray to the Lord you know, silently and say, Lord, I, I believe, I trust, I accept. Thank you for what you've done for me in Jesus Christ. And then I'm going to ask you to do something that, something that may feel very weird and very strange. But just in this moment, just ask God the question, and be quiet and see, see if you get some kind of a response in your heart. And simply ask God, what do you want to tell me about my life with Jesus? What do you want to show me about what I can do next? By the way, this is for everyone in the room. Lord, what do you want me to do next? Just take a minute to listen. for the gift of life through Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the testimony of faithful witnesses. And Lord, thank you for this day of celebration.